welcome to the podcast of the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. We are training coaches and coaching leaders because we know that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Because we care and we want you to reach your full potential, we coach you to choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights that show up on the dashboard of your life. In this episode of the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, I'm going to begin getting those of you who have been following along with this training to do spiritual coaching ready for your first coaching session. Now, to do that, we need to establish a few strategic fences in reference to coaching sessions. Uh, So these are boundaries, and they serve to summarize uh, much of what I've already laid out in the previous two seasons. As well, they put in place some some barriers for you as a spiritual coach within which you can roam free. Uh, Operating within these fences, focusing on these outcomes, will provide you the freedom to think outside the box, sometimes far, far, far from conventional thinking about discipleship and procedures that are familiar to most church discipleship programs. Boxes are confining, and on the other hand, fences give you room to run while protecting you from wandering away from the place where you get your food and protection and care. So, So fences set limits, but they let you build a good head of steam in any direction you want so your dreams and calling can get the uh, excursion they need. Uh, Freedom without rebellious independence. Much broader than a conceptual box, fences give parameters while simultaneously allowing space to roam and investigate. Uh, The fences allow enough direction um, to bring needed focus without myopic blindness. They corral the process without pigeonholing it. They provide direction without unnecessary restraint, focus without laws. The boxes are gone, but there are still some fences. Because much of this will be a review, I'm going to cover the 10 strategic fences or points of focus all in one podcast, so we're going to move along fairly quickly here with this. Um, You can consider it a a bit of a summary, but I think it will give you some direction as well. Number one fence, focus on relationship. Uh, By now, this emphasis probably will be unsurprising and underwhelming, if not a bit uh, overplayed and in danger of losing its impact, because by now, it should seem like normal procedure to you. A relationship-driven process doesn't give instruction for the sake of instruction alone or solely for the sake of relaying content or strictly for educating our sense of morality. Um, These are not what drive our coaching. At the heart of our vision, we are not primarily concerned that people know facts, okay? The goal of disciple-making is not religiosity or virtue or Christian education. We are not primarily trying to fix them or make their lives work better. Not primarily. All coaching and instruction within our spiritual coaching context is done from the perspective and for the purpose of raising up followers who are growing relationally closer to God. All right. All coaching and instruction within our spiritual coaching context, the way I'm describing it and creating it for you is done from this perspective and for this purpose of raising up followers who are growing relationally closer to God. Our coaching is meant to help people know God deeply and follow Him fully. And we all know that growth, call it transformation, it's not usually comfortable or easy. It is a relationship bent on giving back to God, not on getting more from God. 
the mere transition of ideas uh, will not make strong disciples. Not necessarily. Engaging in, uh, you know, church functions and programs and events and services, all right? That does not necessarily make strong disciples. It, it, it can help, but it's not guaranteed. Strong followers are those who are giving heart and soul to know God. Their life is gradually filling up with faith in God. First things first. We focus there and let the rest have second place. The presence of sustainable morality and deep-seated virtue flow from a relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, supported by good theology and not doctrine alone. Spiritual coaches, keep your eyes locked on this goal and let it drive all you do. Teach, yes, but teach not to the head only. Teach to the heart. Call out zeal for God. Work towards transformation and those you coach more because it brings people closer to God not just to make their life easier or more joyful. Speaking of transformation, our second focus after uh, focusing on relationship is a focus on transformation. You know, in Jesus' day, everyone who encountered him was radically changed. Everyone. They experienced nothing less than revolution. Some who came experienced forgiveness and healing from sickness and disease. But everyone had a revolutionary experience. For some, it wasn't positive. But it consumed them, and as such, it was still life-altering. Some hated him, but everyone was changed. And for the impersonal mass referenced often in the Gospels, the change wasn't very sticky. They were fickle and easily disgruntled and quick to turn on him. But then again, going from a mild-mannered peasant to a member of a murderous crowd could be called a revolutionary, revolutionary change. Everyone was deeply touched. For many who encountered him, the change was permanent. The woman at his grave, the the eleven remaining uh, the women at his grave, the eleven remaining apostles, and the hundred and twenty in the upper room in Acts, their, their hearts had been hijacked by Jesus and the mission. Nothing less than that sort of transformation is what we desire to see. Not sin management, but victory. Those sold out few came to learn that cost and discomfort are the norm. And that growth is not free, comfortable, or easy. It won't always look like a better life than the one you once had. Once had. Not always. It may even at times feel like following Jesus doesn't work very well at all. Growing things transform, even becoming old as they take on the marks and scars of maturity and progression. If change is unavoidable uh, and, and we're transformation-driven, then logically all that growth can be observed and monitored and measured. We're going to also focus on following. Number three, Jesus' um, Jesus' life set the example and standard. The way he related to the Father, humanity, and himself is our model. Mark 12, 29-31 doesn't just tell us how to follow God. It describes how Jesus did it. Uh, if Jesus is the prototype, the master from which all others are formed, it means discomfort has to be embraced, and not just if it comes our way, but when it comes our way. Then it must be allowed to form, inform, and transform us. We're, we're not making converts, and we're not asking people to accept Jesus. By accept, I mean say they want Jesus in their lives and then refuse to actually follow him in example or only do it when they agree with what Jesus demands. We're not hanging, um, handing out free and unconditional fire insurance. Being born again is free. Living free most certainly is not. 
Instead, we're challenging folks to follow Jesus in an all-in, sacrificial, courageous, courageous, submissive, dependent, and faithful lifestyle. Not just following in obedience if they happen to occasionally hear from him, but mimicking his mindset and entire way of life, no matter what specific direction um, they get from God. As Jesus modeled, we're, we're driving for the sort of devotion that says, Yes, God, what's the question? Okay, it's yes, God, before we even know what he's going to ask. Number four it's a, is a focus on compulsion. Being a Christ follower is not optional. It's not like um, an available accessory that we choose to pay for or not. Should we get the heated seats or not and the leather trim or not? It's, it's not a journey that we can decide not to take. Living like Jesus did is the only way. Following is mandatory. In fact, being a follower has to be the, not a, top priority coming even before our physical health. If you have more than one top priority, okay, you have no top priority at all, people do not accidentally over time drift or fall into a deeper relationship with God. Let's repeat that. People do not accidentally, over time, just drift or, or fall into a deeper relationship with God. We do not naturally gravitate toward holiness. It has to be seen as nece necessary, essential, compulsory. A relational God connection is the very heart of spiritual maturity. It must be maintained. Fasting and extended times of communication with God require that we neglect the demands of our body uh, that our body makes on us for food and sleep in order to stay relationally connected and submissive. Following Jesus is not an optional, selective, on-again, off-again, part-time undertaking. In fact, we should coach people towards relationship with God's Lordship even more zealously than towards healing and freedom and always be for comfort and stability and blessing. I'm going to repeat that again. We should coach people towards relationship with God's Lordship, God and His Lordship, even more zealously than towards freedom and healing, and always before comfort and stability and blessing. Those things are not bad, they just aren't the focus. And if we do experience them, it will be as a byproduct of relationship with God, not as a standalone thing apart from the relationship with God, okay? You are not going to experience true you know, the morality and the things that I said that isn't the primary reason. You're not going to experience transformation. There's not going to be anything worthwhile to this if we don't build a relationship with God. And all that is worthwhile flows out of the relationship. All right, we're going to focus on responsibility. This fifth point is about who is responsible for the state of a Christ follower's relationship with God. We tell those we coach that it's not our responsibility or the church's to make sure growth happens. The church is not liable for the follower's lack of growth or sustained relationship. It's the follower's duty, and it's an intentional, habitual, daily responsibility, not a weekly Sunday morning only kind of thing. Mature and maturing followers regularly feed themselves and they prepare nourishing food. They, they serve and lead out of their own overflow and not out of their own scarcity. This is pretty simple. We're responsible for our own spiritual maturity. As spiritual coaches, we cannot take that onto ourselves, feeling like we failed when people choose sin, bondage, addiction, and disloyalty. We call them to a thing only they can choose. 
and our duty is done once we've called them to that. Your heart will hurt and even fear for them, but your job is done. The focus is this focus is essential to the spiritual coach's sanity, the spiritual health of the coach. All right, so far we have focus on relationship, transformation, following, compulsion, and responsibility. Let's take a short break to give your brain a chance to rest. Did you know that this podcast is not the only resource that we have available to help you with your own relationship with God and your spiritual coaching efforts? TwoRivers.Church backslash life coaching, don't forget the hyphen, has dozens of tools and book links to help you in your life with God and your ministry to others. You can even sign up there to get spiritual coaching for yourself with Pastor Carrie, either in person or virtually. It's a work in progress and we'll be getting a facelift soon, but it's chock full of practical content to read, watch, and listen to. Wherever you choose to interact with Pastor Carrie online, please remember to rate, like, follow, and share so that other leaders and coaches can find this helpful content. If you would like to connect with Pastor Carrie, you can go to tworivers.church backslash lifecoaching, email him at carrie at tworivers.church, or text him on Twitter or Facebook by going to at SC dashboard. All right, let's finish today's episode of the podcast. Okay, here are the fences or focuses that I have already outlined. A, a focus on relationships, uh, growing relationally closer to God. A focus on transformation, letting God change you. A focus on following, doing more than accepting. A focus on compulsion, none of which is optional. Focus on responsibility. We're going to go on to number six, focus on accountability. This is a reference to the horizontal nature of following Jesus. We all need the relationships found in biblical community. We must find a band or even one person with whom we can go deeper. Accountability is an essential tool to assist us in following through on decisions and commitments. And an active accountability can effectively hold people responsible to an accurate self-awareness and to remember failures as well as past progress and growth. A partner who knows us well can hold us to the, the, the self-respect that discourages help, hopelessness, negativity, masochistic self-flagellation. Accountability pushes us towards encouragement as well as follow-through. Grace and forgiveness is easy to find when we don't have to, to look for it all by ourselves. Um, when, when we have someone to help us and help us remember and help us decide. We all need that. We need to coach people. So they understand that accountability is not necessarily provided by a small group, especially as followers mature. Biblical maturity is not the same as a biblical community is not the same as accountability. It can be, but it is not necessarily. Uh, and, and spiritual coaching is not the same thing as accountability. Coaches usually work with so many people at once, they cannot possibly be everyone's accountability. A friend that is close enough to be trusted to kindly but clearly tell us the truth and still unconditionally love us, is a treasure that once found must be protected. So there's a focus on accountability. And there is, number seven, a focus on individuality. Coaches, remember that no two people are alike, nor are there growth curves. Standardized processes fall short because they treat everyone alike. We have to keep this in mind as we talk through what coaching sessions will look like. Uh, I can give generalities, but each coaching moment must be spirit-led to keep it uniquely personal and relevant. Spiritual coaching is personal. While there are practical and useful tools that all can um, profit from, 
and that should be taught to all. No two people need them at the same point in their spiritual development. Classes have their place, but um, the growth process itself must be driven forward by personal pastoral coaching. Knocking off a rift of classes is not a viable or accurate measurement of growth. Oh, I finished 10 classes, so that means I've grown by an equal percentage. No, it doesn't work that way. Our spiritual coaching will be individually crafted. Each session is a one-off that is designed specifically for the one who sits before us and for the need of the moment. So a focus on individuality is followed by a focus on inclusivity. This would probably be labeled as very out-of-the-box thinking in many churches. While um, not standard procedure for most programs that are designed to make followers of Jesus, it is the way he did it as far as I can tell. What am I talking about? Well, Jesus immediately began uh, discipling or teaching his chosen twelve long before they knew who he was or what they had gotten themselves into. They traveled with him and watched as he taught and healed and inspired with the religious leaders. Then they asked themselves and, and each other, who is this guy? Uh, Matthew eight twenty seven. you can find that kind of an interaction. Jesus challenged them for their lack of faith and then kept right on training them. He even lost one who in the end was not convinced. This, however, did not pre prevent Jesus from training the uncertain and unbelieving. He allowed them to belong before they believed. He even allowed them, pushed them, to build before they believed. Apparently serving others before we were sure ourselves where we stand with the one we are following is a good idea. After his resurrection, Jesus presented them with their ongoing mission, and some still doubted even then. Thomas still was struggling to believe, even after Jesus, seeing the risen Jesus. But Jesus went right ahead and called them to disciple others, even though some of them who worshipped externally were internally plagued with unbelief. Honestly, who among us is not from time to time so plagued? Who of us will ever get to the place where we um, don't ever need to cry out again, I do believe, help my unbelief? So, um, we too will train anyone that's willing to be trained. Okay? That means that we will disciple those who are not yet disciples. We will train people to follow Jesus who are not yet committed to following Jesus. Uh, if the gospel is clearly stated, we are saved by faith, not by works, why not let people see what they would be signing up for? In this way, they will hit the ground running once they make the life choice to pledge themselves to Jesus with all out abandon. Anyone who... Anyone and everyone can engage the process. We are more than willing to spiritually coach those who are not yet in or committed to a relationship with God. Anyone who knows the Bible should know that righteous living will improve any life. And if that's where people are and they realize that being a Christ follower is not about morality, let them live moral lives. We will give them all the help we can uh, while keeping a relational connection with them that may one day lead to walking them over that gospel chasm into Christ's arms. With those who belong but do not believe, our focus moves away from building a relationship with God to taking that first step to establishing a relationship for God. That is for sure a reality. A spiritual coach will have to stay spiritual because we are spiritual coaches, so they will have to know that, that we can only help if they listen to God. But even if they are not all in, following God and biblical advice and commands will bring good to any life, all out believer or not. This commitment is necessary 
because it allows us to avoid putting people into groups, the Christians and the non-Christians. Um, we don't want any kind of hierarchy or, or, or special treatment. They all get grouped together and pull each other along no matter where they are in their faith journey. I would not make someone who believes or belongs but does not yet believe, I would not make them a spiritual coach, okay? But they sure can have family around them that will influence them into the king's realm. So that was a, a focus on inclusivity. And number nine is a focus on proactivity. The dream is that our spiritual coaching will become more and more preventative and less and less reparative. It will have to be built into a culture and community, and that will take time, but it is an important driver or focus or fence. If uh, consistently and periodically taken, preventative measures can protect our reputation and God's reputation from damage. What's true of our automobiles and our bodies is true of our invisible, immaterial self. Instead of always having to repair broken lives and relationships, spiritual coaches need to be coaching needs to be as common and natural and normal as is going to uh, a counselor after life has blown up in our face. We take our cars and our bodies into in for inspections and checkups to to avoid accidents and injury and life-threatening illness. Why not do the same with our souls? Monitoring our heart, feelings, responses, and emotions can help us continue our growth by bringing to light problems that are brewing under the hood. Soul health is like gossip, which is like fire, easier to prevent than it is to extinguish. Right? Getting healthy before we blow up a lot our lives is much easier work than trying to repair the life after it's blown up. It's very hard to put toothpaste back into the tube. Know what I mean? All right, focus number 10 on relevance. We are not going to use inaccessible, archaic terminology simply because it is a standard terminology, at least not without explaining it if we feel it must be used. Modern language must replace outdated language. If it has to be used, it will be done intentionally and defined every time with contemporary terms, metaphors, and analogies that are fitting for the audience. Words matter, so we must exercise discipline in our terminology and demonstrate love instead of laziness. Those strategic terms of choice cre create a, a shared language that can be used systemically. There is much more to this discussion. I must say that for another time. Actually, I have a whole podcast on this. Just know that words matter and that people understand our words matters more. Okay, words matter, but that people understand our words matters more. So, we have 10 Fences or focuses, a focus on relationship, transformation, following, compulsion, responsibility, a focus on accountability, individuality, inclusivity, focus on proactivity, and a focus on relevance. Surely you heard repeated themes. If you've been listening to this podcast, there's no way that I went through those 10 things without you at some point saying, oh my gosh, is he going to say this again? This is the focus of our coaching, the strategic fences we operate within as spiritual coaches. This intentional attitude and drive lies behind every coaching session and conversation. They are believed to be wide enough to foster originality, creativity, individuality, and relevance while being narrow enough to ensure a good every time, a good experience every time we coach, no matter who is coaching and who is coached. Now, let's say something about the Bible. It, the Bible is so much a part of our coaching that saying one of our fences is a biblical foundation is inappropriate, it inappropriately demotes this value. I want you to think of the Bible as a sledgehammer that drives every post into the ground and the fences that is strung between those posts. 
It is the fence. Without biblical truth, we have a pile of potential laying useless on the ground, posts and fence that mean nothing and, and guide nothing because they have not been utilized. So those 10 things I said are, are the, the, the material that makes up the fences. But the Bible is the sledge and the post that holds the slots together. Um, you have no fences without biblical guidance. That is the original form where every word of God to us. You have no fences without biblical guidance that in their original form were the very words of God to us. All right, next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, um, now that you have these boundaries to work within, we'll discuss the, the purpose and various parts of the first session that we have with a new person that comes in for spiritual coaching. for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, don't waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how to work the truth into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been yourself. We pray that God uses the spiritual coaching dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you are in the upstate New York area, specifically Binghamton, or are visiting or just passing through, look Pastor Carrie and myself up. We'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and chat about our dynamic relationship with God or about how to do spiritual coaching in your context. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the podcast of The Spiritual Coaching Dashboard.